Our text this morning remind me of our Life Together course that we're going through right now in the welcome class, and especially this John 3 passage uh, we talk about in the course about salvation, about the mystery of salvation, and the course, I love this title, it's like one of my favorite titles, Life in the Lasting World. Isn't that nice? I'm proud of myself for that one. Anyways, it's a great title. If you have not taken the course, uh, you got to take the course. Take the Life Together course. I'll leave it at that, but you got to take it. Because uh, we cover a lot of this in really great detail, and it's super fun. When I was about 10 years old, I was sitting in a base chapel, an Air Force base in Utah, in a chapel, and I was taking in a pretty impressive puppet show. It was pretty amazing as a 10-year-old. And I was sitting there with my youth leader, and he leaned over to me and said, Sean, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to be a Christian? And I was kind of confused by the question because I was thinking to myself, isn't that what we've been doing I mean, this whole, I think we've, we've been, you know, but I said to him, Larry, Larry, yeah, I do. I do want to follow Jesus. And uh, from that moment on, I remember sitting there thinking, okay, so I'm following Jesus. I got so many questions, though. And even looking back at that 10-year-old self, thinking how sweet, how innocent, how simple it was to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Um, a few years later, I'm confirmed and following Jesus, and I still have questions, and I look back at that confirmed self and go, yeah, how innocent. I was, I was trying, I was learning, it was great, but there was much more going on than just sort of Sean's understanding that qualified him as a Christian. Even years later, with seminary and advanced degrees, I look back at that self still, that right now, and thinking, you know, I'm trying, but I have a lot of questions about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be saved. Anybody else have questions? Been doing this a long time, maybe a couple days, and you're like, I got lots of questions. You're in the right place. Um, The mystery of salvation is no small thing. Even this teacher of Israel, Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus says, wait, wait, hold up. You're a teacher of all of Israel, and you don't understand this? Even he had trouble with these questions. And I found that just like Nicodemus, you and I, this wondering that we have, this holy curiosity, becoming students apprentices of Jesus, that's a really normal feeling to say, wait a second, I have questions. How does this work? But in that space of curiosity, I have found over my life, and even now, I'm tr- I was sitting trying to describe uh, how good this is, how good that curiosity is, because I think for some, those doubts can be things that we feel like maybe we should be putting away. Like someone's told us, don't ask hard questions, don't doubt. And I want to say, no, bring it all out. My goodness, it's so wonderful. For me, the experience of asking questions of God has felt like leaning over a great abyss of God's infinite grace. And that same terrifying feeling you have when you're standing at the edge of a cliff or a tall building and you're like, ooh, the butterflies, that terrifying sense, that's, that's the sense that I have. But also filled with joy and excitement and wonder and just a little bit of terror. As I lean over this abyss of God's grace and ask those questions, but God, how? How is this? It's too wonderful for me to comprehend. It's too beautiful. What a great mystery. This morning, we're going to circle that great mystery again and again, what it means to be saved. And we're going to start this morning in Genesis 12, our first reading that you, hear, uh, you heard this morning, where God called Abram. Did you hear this? I love reading this story with folks who are like, wait a second, isn't his name something different? Hold on. God calls Abram from his home, his people, his family, to what God says is the land that I will show you. This is a great promise given to him. 
that through Abram, God would bless all the families of the earth. So Abram went with the Lord. It was that simple. Five chapters later, God makes a covenant, reiterating that same promise that God had given to Abram, but now extending it to include land that he would give to his descendants and in order that they would also be blessed and that through them, the whole world, all land would be blessed. And part of that new covenant uh, was this promise of a son, Isaac, at the ripe old age of 100 for Abram. <laughs> That's funny, right? Well, uh, his wife, I'm sure, thought this was a little funnier. Uh, she was 99. Yikes, right? Uh, God also renamed him and his wife. And this is where we get Abraham and Sarah. So it was with this family, this sort of obscure, run-of-the-mill family, that the Lord called out from all the families of the earth for this special mission, a mission to bless the entire earth, all the families, all the peoples of the earth, with what? With God's presence, with his provision, and with his salvation. So Paul was laying out this same argument we find later. To the church in Rome, when we're reading from Romans 4, there's a straight line from this story in Genesis 12 to Romans 4 that we read that we read this morning. We are direct descendants of Abraham. Follow me, okay? You're like, hold on a second. We're not Jewish, ethnically maybe, some of us. Um, yeah, hold on a second. We could follow this straight line from Genesis to Romans 4, this not human lineage from Abraham, uh, or even a lineage that is works. Well, we've been busy the way Abraham was busy and faithful. We believed. We did all these sort of right things. We may not have this sort of ethnic lineage or a works lineage, but we are descendants of Abraham. How? How is it that we, you and I in this room in Austin, Texas, in 2023, is it, are connected to Abraham? We didn't work our way into right standing with God. Neither did Abraham. Nobody has, in fact. Nobody has worked for God's favor. In fact, to work for God's favor is to fundamentally misunderstand who God is. Can I say this again? To work for God's favor is to fundamentally misunderstand who God is. Even more, it misunderstands just how much we need his rescuing help. It misunderstands how bad of shape we're actually in, that we think we can work for this favor, for his help. Some will read Romans 4 to mean uh, to take faith, the faith that Abraham had, and sort of turn it into a work, something that qualifies Abraham, something that we might could do and it would credit to us as well. We would be righteous like Abraham, as if faith was some sort of work. But no, it's not. This isn't about Abraham's amazing faith. Though Abraham had uh, cooperation, he had participation in what God was doing, this isn't about what Abraham had done. It is about the faithfulness of the God that brought about the forgiveness of sins through Abraham's family. Can I say that again? This is not about the faith that Abraham had primarily. This is about the faithfulness of the God that through Abraham brought about the forgiveness of sins just as he promised he would. It was, in other words, sheer grace 
sheer grace working through that promise to Abraham, which Abraham received, how? By believing. This is what Paul describes. That would be the way his sins would be forgiven. And friends, this would be the way that our sins would be forgiven. The New Testament writer N.T. Wright says, uh, he's a great scholar, more succinctly than I have. This isn't about how Abraham got justified by faith, so much as God's faithfulness to his promises to Abraham. It's subtle, but it's really significant. The main agent, the actor here. Is it Abraham celebrating the great faith that he had that brought about blessing to the whole world? Or is it God's faithfulness to and through Abraham to bless the entire world? Big difference. We have only friends to trust in the faithfulness of God to set things right for the ungodly. That's us. We have only to lean on the fullness of God's grace to us, the God who gave us his son. This is not a spiritual paycheck that we're receiving from God, something that we work for and then we have some sort of sense that we deserve. It's not a spiritual paycheck, sheer grace. It is a gift that is supposed to be received as a gift. In fact, it is a gift that if you do not receive it as a gift, makes it not a gift. It perverts the original offer. It becomes a paycheck. To receive a gift as a gift means to stand in the place of the recipient in this really uncomfortable place, trust me, of the recipient of sheer grace. Gift upon gift upon gift over the top. But what have I done to deserve it? Nothing. Nothing. But you can mess it up. (laughs) You can mess it up if you don't receive it that way. If you don't receive it, in other words, by faith. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And when we receive it as a gift, what happens to us, ourselves are opened up to be changed, to be transformed by this gift. It's not some sort of benign thing that just sits on our wall like, you know, a piece of art or like on our shelf and we dust it off a couple times a year. This gift, when we receive it as gift, it starts to meddle within us. It starts to transform us and change us. This is the gift that keeps giving truly, actually, in our lives. God takes this first step towards us in offering this gift. And his movement towards us is what starts our ability to move toward him. But he is the prime mover. He moves first. And because he moves first, we can move toward him. That's how this dance goes. None of you, believe this or not, none of you have come to know of Jesus on your own. None of you have even been persuaded that Jesus is like kind of a good guy on your own. None of you can stir up hearing from God, hearing his voice. None of you have done anything to receive his spirit or to be welcomed into his kingdom. None of us have done anything to deserve to come to this table then how is it that we come? How is it that God has revealed himself to us? I've read a lot of books, Sean. I mean, I've done the work. No. How do you think those books have come to you? How do you think that knowledge of God has come to you? By an act of sheer grace, by God deciding to self-disclose, to say, here's who I am. Here's who I am. This is all sheer grace, friends. And this is good news. Because what it does for our practical everyday lives is now reorients us to be completely dependent on the giving of God. 
and not on our own self-sufficiency. It opens us up to be completely dependent on the gifts of God and not on our performance for him. It opens us up to receive this gift and be healed, to be forgiven, to be made whole, and to be reconciled. That our lives would become these sacraments, these sort of neon lights, this sign that the promise that we have received rests on grace, as Paul says. Now, Jesus was trying to crack the same nut some late night with Nicodemus, okay? The same puzzle. In John 3, 5, it says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. How then, Nicodemus? By crawling back into my mother's womb? Yikes, bro. No. You imagine, you imagine that conversation. But he was really struck. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? Sort of putting him on the spot. Explain what you mean. The same way Abraham did. By faith. By faith in what? By faith in the faithfulness of God to see his promise through to us. Just as God provided healing to those dying of a deadly serpent's bite in the wilderness. By the way, take the class because there's a lot here and it's super weird and it's super cool. Just as God provided healing, life-saving healing to those who were bit in the wilderness, so God will provide healing through the Son of Man who will be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. To the Son of Man who will be lifted up, that anyone who looks to him would be healed. This is the God who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. And believing in him, believing in him, we receive God's saving blessing that has come through Abraham. That's how we're connected to him. Nothing else. So friends, Put this together with me this morning. Thank God we are not rescued. We don't qualify to be inside of God's family because we have a 4.0 spiritual GPA. Thank God for me. Thank God that we are welcomed into his family not because we manage our sins well and nobody really finds out about them. Thank God it's not by proving our own worth or really finding out who we really are and then presenting that self to God. Thank God it's not any of that because we would all be pretty messed up and lost. Thank God this is not dependent on something that we first do, but always in response to something God has done. Thank God. Amen. Somebody say amen to this. This is, this is night and day difference, y'all. You are now free. You are now free under this grace of God to receive that gift and say, yes, Lord, what do we want to do? How do you want to change me? What are we doing? Where are we going? I have nothing to prove to you. I already stand before you as beloved as your child. <laughs> Wake up to that every morning. Yes, Lord, beloved. I'll take that name. If you think, Sean, that's not, that's not the God I've heard of. I just want to say to you once and for all, then your God does not exist. This is the God that exists. The God who lives is the one who out of an over-the-top costly love, has reached down to us by grace that covers all of our shortcomings, all of our doubts, all of our cracks and wounds, all of our sins. This God has reached down in grace and covers all that with the blood of his Son. 
The God who lives entered into that dark abyss of sin and death, the, the abyss that we all face inevitably. This is the God who has entered into that abyss of sin out of grace. I'll go first, I'll go deeper, and I will rescue anyone who finds themselves there so that we are liberated to truly live now with him, to truly live, to really live as a human being. And we've been brought into this glorious light of his kingdom, not just sort of left on our own like good luck in Austin these days. No, we've been adopted into the light, the glorious light of the kingdom of God. And now and forever, and nothing threatens that we're always in, we're always kept safe and secure, but sent into a dangerous world as people who know that they're safe and secure in the kingdom. This is the God that lives, who's accomplished all of this by sending his son that anyone who looks to him will be saved. Jesus of Nazareth. This is why we make such a big deal out of this guy. He is our rescuer, the son of God. That through him, the whole world, every single one of you in here, and think of this, all of your neighbors, coworkers, people you run into at HEB, all of them, that they would be saved too through him. Think of the scope of this, y'all. This is incredible. This may be too wonderful for us to comprehend. We may have questions. We may not fully understand, but it is no less true. It is no less good news. And it is no less underway at the table this morning. This is what we come to eat and be consumed by this morning. A God who moves towards us in grace and offers us his life through his son, given to us now in the body and blood of Christ. So friends, may we then respond with a little bit of terror, leaning over this great abyss, a little bit of terror, but full of joy and ready to receive the love of God this morning. Amen? Mm -hmm.